Okay, I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 14. I want to talk to you this morning about the cost of being a disciple. Luke 14, and we'll read from 25 to the end of the chapter. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war <clears throat> sorry, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first, first sit down and consider whether he's able with ten thousand men to oppose the one coming against him with twenty thousand? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way those who do not give up everything. You have not become. You have. Sorry, you have. Thirty-three. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you have. You have. Comma after Just think of a comma after You have. Cannot be my disciples. Okay. <clears throat> 34. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for soil nor the manure pile it is thrown out. Whoever hears, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. <clears throat> okay. Interesting passage. <clears throat> There is a cost, there is a cost, folks, to becoming a disciple. There is a cost. But before we look at that cost, <clears throat> we must decide if we even want to become a disciple. So, <clears throat> going to church doesn't mean that you are a disciple. And reading the Bible doesn't mean that you are a disciple. And even saying the sinner's prayer does not necessarily mean 
that you have become a disciple. And even going through the waters of baptism still does not necessarily mean that you have become a disciple. It's about relationship. And you can go through the motions, but that doesn't mean you're a disciple. It's about relationship. It's about how much of our life we want to give to God. And God doesn't want half of our life. And God doesn't even want three quarters of our life. But God wants 100% of our life. God is a jealous God and he doesn't want to share us with other people. He doesn't want to share us with other people. Not even family as we read in this scripture. He doesn't even want us to share him or he doesn't want our family to become a higher priority than he is. Or should be. Look at the examples of the disciples. They left everything to follow Christ. They left everything. And we, as Christians, we need to prioritise our relationship with God to be the first. So God needs to be first above family. He needs to be first above occupation. He needs to be first above career. God even needs to be first above ambition. Our relationship with God involves God in all of these areas and more. And it's about, like I said before, it's about prioritising our life to put God first. Otherwise, he's unable to be totally Involved in our lives. Lives. If, for instance, <clears throat> we put an area of life before God, then when it comes time that we need prayer in that area of life, God is really unable to help because He's not above the situation. <clears throat> Example. Let's say, for instance, we put our occupation above God. And so when we have problems in our occupation, problems that require prayer, then how can God answer that prayer if he's not even above that situation? So it's about prioritising God doesn't step up to a situation. God steps into... <clears throat> into. Yeah, thanks, Cheryl. Okay. <coughs> I've got a bit of a frog in my throat today. Too much singing. Too much talking. Um, God doesn't step up to a situation. God steps into... A situation. So, even in life, whatever you want to do, if you want to do something, you must prioritise it. If you want to wash the car, you know, you might have a, it might be Saturday, you might have a list of things to do. Um, 
cut the grass, sweep the back veranda, you know, wash the car. If we don't prioritise it, then the car won't get washed. It has to become a priority and it needs to be somewhere on the list to say, okay, we're going to do this job today. And it's the same in our Christian walk. We must put God first. We must, we need to have a list or a mental list or a heartfelt list that puts God first above everything else. We need to prioritise that and make sure that God puts, that we put God first. If you want to enlist God's help in your life, you must put God at the top of the list. In other words, we become the ones who actually stop God from working in our lives because we tend to sometimes prioritise incorrectly. It comes down to what do you want to get out of Christianity and how much effort do you want to put into your relationship with God? Do you want to just like rattle off the sinner's prayer so you're going to make it to heaven? I guess that's okay. At least you're through the gate. Or do you want to leave a legacy behind, as Pete reminded us this morning, and prioritise your relationship with God? Now some people say that you must make a big, big sacrifice to be totally 100% Christian. Personally, I see it a little bit differently. Yes, we do need to make sacrifices, for sure. We need to perhaps make a sacrifice of our family to put God first, or make a sacrifice of our occupation or our finance or whatever it is. We need to make at least some sort of small sacrifice to put God above those things. But we... Sure, we make the sacrifice and we put God first, but by having God first in all areas of life, then as we come under him, we come under his rule, we come under his direction. And so therefore, we are giving God authority over all of our life areas And so the areas that we've made a sacrifice in a sense become null and void because we hand those areas over to God. Let me give you an example. Let's say, for instance, um, let's say, for instance, we're big on family and and aunties and uncles and all of that and family's important, especially leading up to Christmas and and all the get-togethers. And let's say, for instance, we put our family above God. Then one day we realise this is not right. God needs to be number one. So we make the sacrifice. We make God first 
and we put our family either next or down the list. But the blessing is that by putting God first, when it comes to needing prayer for our family, God can now act because he is above our family. He is coming first. If we take our family out, put our family above God, then God can't really operate in successful prayer because he's under that thing, whatever it is, family or whatever it is, God is under that and not inclusive of. Do you understand what I mean? Am I making any sense? So, um, Jesus gives two examples here in the passage. Um, The first example found in verse 28 that Jesus uses is about a guy. This guy wants to build a tower. So this guy wants to build a tower. So, um, the first thing that Jesus mentions about this guy building a tower is counting the cost. Okay, you're going to build a house, you need to know how much it's going to cost. And then when you, when you say, oh, okay, we're looking at, you know, let's say 400,000, then you might say, right, so the slab is going to cost this much and we're going to need um, some furniture and some carpet, um, maybe we're going to need an electrician, a plumber, you know, so then you can work out, break down the cost. And it's the same with Christianity. It's the same with our relationship with God. We put God ahead 100% and then we can work out and prioritise where everything else fits into our life. So we must count the cost of discipleship. And imagine if you had a good foundation in Christ, but because we didn't hand everything over to God, we failed to build on that foundation. So I've seen houses with just a foundation and I've seen other houses with just the frame up and, you know, they've run out of money. And imagine if you built the foundation of your house, you, you laid out the slab and you got some paint and you marked out where the walls are, then you got your bed and you put that in, in the bedroom, but there's no walls and there's no roof and there's no plumbing or anything. You can't just, like, live on a foundation. You have to build the house. And that's the same. Our foundation is in Christ, but it's no good just having the foundation alone. We must build the house. We must build the temple. The temple is in here, folks. It's not made of bricks and mortar and anything else. Now the temple is made up of spirit and soul and personality. You know? We've got to build the building. And we can do that by placing God or placing Jesus above all else in our life. Imagine the predicament that Jesus must be placed in sometimes. 
He wants to inhabit us, but because the building has come to a standstill and is not being completed, what can Jesus do? His hands are tied. It comes back to us. The second example that Jesus uses is found in verse 31. It's about this king with 20,000 men and he's coming up against a king with 10,000 men. The 10,000 men king thinks, right, this guy's got like double the men or double the soldiers. I need to plan a strategy here, otherwise we're going to be overthrown and I'm going to lose my kingdom. So likewise, as believers, we also must strategize and plan our Christian walk. Because the enemy will always come up against us. So we must have a strategy. We must have a plan. And uh, fair enough, I don't like to give the devil too much airplay, okay? I'd rather give Jesus the praise for something than say, oh, the devil's attacking me. No, I'd rather say Jesus is blessing me. You know, But in saying that, I don't think there's anything wrong with knowing and understanding the strategies of the enemy. And we're told in Ephesians 6 to stick the armour on. Put the armour on. And I won't go through that. You all know it. So even the scriptures give us a strategy against the enemy. And, and we should apply that strategy. We'll talk more about that later. So, um, so in our Christian walk there is progress, which is important, but there is also, we run the risk of stagnation, which is where we don't want to go. And like the king coming up against the greater king, we sometimes perceive our enemy to be greater than us. And in human terms, the enemy is greater than us. The enemy is greater than us. Look around the world, turn the news on and see how the enemy influences people that don't have Jesus. The world's full of it. And on our own and in our own strength, we are unable to defeat the enemy. But I think of you know, I've got a few favourite blokes in the Bible. Joshua um, and Gideon are two, and Daniel, they all come to mind. And these, these three, and there's heaps more in the Bible, but these people came up against great odds, and they were greatly outnumbered. You know, what about Joshua marching around the wall? Uh, you know, like... Gideon, he goes to fight 55,000 with 300. Like, what greater odds is that? But with God on their side, they were totally victorious in defeating the works of evil, both in the physical and the spiritual. I know, I know life has its ups and downs. And sometimes we feel that the wind is at our back and sometimes we feel like we... We're working hard against a headwind. 
But, um, and that's, that's, that's life. But in cases like these, we need wisdom and we need discernment, folks. Be it when we are really attacked by the devil and the temptation is great and the odds are overwhelming, then we use, need to use some strategies. And we need to use the same strategies that Jesus used to combat the devil. Okay? If the devil's attacking you, there's a way out. There's a way out. And Jesus used these strategies and we need to use them also. We need to understand the gospel message, really. So the first strategy I'm going to give you, I've got five, I've got four strategies here, which they're all interconnected. The first thing we need to do is examine your Christianity, but be honest with yourself. Am I a Christian? Am I a believer? You'll say, yes, no worries. Okay, and I will believe you. But how much percentage of your life is God's and how much percentage of your life is yours? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Okay. So examine your Christianity and be honest with yourself. Number two, make sure that your relationship is in your heart and not just in your mind make sure your relationship with Jesus is in your heart and not just in your mind or a perceived relationship yes I go to church I sing, I praise, I worship I have a great relationship with God it needs to be more than that going to church is just a couple of hours a week and if that's the only time you connect with God then you need help Number three. Now these are all strategies that Jesus used. Was Jesus 100% for God? Well, he was, wasn't he? Like, what you see me do, you see the, it comes from the Father, you know? Now, Jesus was 100% for God, so then we can also be 100% for God. Make sure your relationship is in your heart and not in your mind or just perceived. Do you think Jesus' relationship with God was just a perceived relationship? Or do you think it really came out of the depths of his heart? That's obvious, isn't it? Same, same with us. Okay, number three. Make sure you understand biblical revelations and concepts with a view of applying them to your life. It's great to know the Bible... Yes, I know the Bible well. I've read it 15 times. But has it really impacted your life? Or are you just a person full of knowledge? Jesus understood the Bible. Do you know why? He is the Word. He is the Bible. So he understood it very well because it was, this book is his heart, really. So make sure you understand biblical revelations 
and concepts, biblical concepts, with a view of applying them to your life. And number four, Jesus quoted the Bible to the devil, yes? The devil said, Turn these stones into bread and you won't be hungry anymore. I know you've been fasting for 40 days and nights. Come on, do it. Do it. I can't even remember now offhand the, the scripture. That, but Jesus quoted the scripture to him and the devil thought, hmm, I'll try a different tactic. And three times Jesus quoted scripture to him and in the end the devil had to flee, go away. So, now what I want to say about that is that Jesus didn't just quote the Bible and just rattle off a few verses, right? It was more than that. Jesus actually quoted to the devil the reality of the scriptures, not just some words on a page like you're reading out of a novel, but Jesus is quoting to the devil the impact that the Bible has. So the reality of the word to the devil. He didn't just quote the scripture, but Jesus quoted the life of the scriptures. And he quoted from within the depths of his very being. And that is what comes out of Jesus' relationship with the Father, and it's the same with us. When we, when the devil comes to us, we can't just say, "Oh, look, um, you know, uh, um, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty." You know, you can't just just read a psalm and say, "Oh, I hope the devil will run away." It, you know, you got to allow the the word to impact your life. And when Jesus did that, the devil fled. The devil fled. Because Jesus impacted the devil out of his very being, out of his heart. And the scriptures are in his heart. Jesus was a serious Christian, you know. Like, he was 100% full on for God. And he's out doing the Father's mission, you know. And why shouldn't we be the same? God gives us a mission. We are, we're on a mission from the Father. Yeah, for sure. And Jesus enables us in that mission. And the Holy Spirit communicates us the enablement from Christ as we do the Father's mission. It's how it works. This passage finishes up talking about salt. Okay? How many people put salt on their food? If you if you're gonna uh, if you're gonna put some chops on the barbie, bit of salt and pepper, not bad. Alrighty, well, why do we do that? Because the salt brings out the flavour, doesn't it? It brings out flavour. So the conclusion to this passage talks about being salt to the world. Are you a salt shaker for Jesus? Oh, that's a good question, isn't it? Okay, salt enhances flavour. And so, as believers in Christ, we are to bring the flavour of Christianity to those around us and to those people who are on our mission radar. 
Do you have a mission radar? You, you send a radar and you think, going, beep, beep, there's a little dot. So as you're, we each have a mission radar and there should be a few little dots bipping, you know, people that are on your mission radar, people you're going to target for Jesus. Might be praying for someone or, or whatever. But, so, by and large, our best evangelism tool is our behaviour and our actions. That speaks volumes. What's the saying? Actions speak? Exactly. Exactly. So, number two, people will make judgments related to your Christianity based on your actions. So you might say, yes, I'll go to church every Sunday, I'm a, I'm a Christian, blah, 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 blah. But people will look at your actions and then they'll come to their own conclusions. I'll say, oh, well, Stu says he goes to Sunday, no, goes to church every Sunday, but have a look at this. He's doing such and such. Actions speak louder than words. Number three, if we're fair dinkum about our Christianity, if we are fair dinkum about our Christianity, then we have already become salt to others. Now, I'm not talking about being pushy, but just being yourself in Christ. That's all it takes, just be yourself in Christ. And just allow your understanding of God, okay, we get an understanding of God from the Bible, allow your understanding of God to come out of you in everyday life, okay? Allow your understanding of God to come out of you in everyday life. I've got some examples. If someone needs encouragement, right, you're just going through your day and, you know, you find, you might visit someone or someone might call, you find somebody might need some encouragement. Oh, maybe you can share a verse with them, a psalm. If someone is sick, you know someone is sick, pray with them. Uh, being a Christian, folks, is simple. It's easy. It's just easy. If someone needs encouragement, pray with them. Uh, share a verse. If someone's sick, pray with them. Hey, if someone needs to pick me up, if they're feeling a bit down, they go around and have a coffee and have a Bible study together. So have a, let's have a look at the 23rd Psalm or something, you know, and just encourage them. If someone has a sick friend, intercede with them. Hey, let's pray for your friend. Yeah, let's pray together for your friend. Yeah. Let's say Gaza has a sick friend, you know, someone he knows, you know, in Melbourne or whatever. Oh, let's pray together for that person, you know. Is this too hard, folks? This is just, this is just being a Christian. This is being a believer. If someone needs a lawnmower, <laughs> go and cut their grass for them. You could loan them the mower, but you could just go and cut it anyway. What a great Christian act to do. If someone needs food, 
cook up a meal, invite them around, you know. I don't know. This is being salt for people. This is what it's about. This is is about creating flavour. This is about creating thirst in people. And salt is connected with flavour. And salt adds spice to life. And it brings out the flavour in the food, both physical and spiritual. Let's wrap it up, folks. To apply the image of salt to the Christian life, we should see that the Christian is charged with purifying, sanctifying and preserving this wounded and decaying world by being salt to it. If the believer is called to bring Christian flavour, sorry, not if, the believer is called to bring Christian flavour to life in a world that is so often filled with despair and meaningless. And you don't have to go far to see desperation and meaningless in people's lives. So, three things to remember. One, relationship with God. Two, the cost and the plan. Three, flavour, flavouring your life. There's Christianity. Folks, there is Christianity and there's Christianity applied to your life. Two different things. Before you can add flavour to someone's life, you must also be flavoured yourself. Okay? So, focus on applying biblical concepts and revelations to your life and be salt to the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We pray, Lord, that we can be displaying your flavour, Lord, to people around us that we know. We can just help out where we, we're able to help out, lend a hand, share a verse, have a prayer with someone. Lord, I pray you'll direct our paths this week. And we can be salt in a, in a flavourless world, a world that doesn't know you, a world that is going down the gurgler. Lord, use us, just a few people here today on this Sunday morning, use us, Lord, to impact our families, our friends, people around us, people in this town, even people we know that live far, far away. Help us, Lord, to impact this world with Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Helen. Thanks for listening to a Wattle City Church podcast. If you download the Anchor podcast app and type Wattle City Church into the search engine, you can listen to more and great podcasts from Wattle City Church. Thanks.